Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Consulting Detroit shares his path from graduating into an engineering role right before the financial crisis in 2007 to getting fired from his first job in under a year and taking on debt to pivot and get an MBA in the evening program. Learn some great unique tips for consulting case interviews, how he learned the best practices as a peer coach, and what's in store for him next. Also, just a quick aside, since this is episode number 50, just wanted to take a second and thank all the listeners for sticking with me. This podcast has been super fun and interesting for me, and I hope it's given you some value as well. I'm excited for the next 50 episodes on our way to 100. Enjoy this one. Thanks, guys. Consulting Detroit, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick summary of your background. Yeah. I started out studying industrial operations engineering, really leaning into that uh, Six Sigma analytics-focused engineering. You know, I thought it'd be a real good practical foundation for myself. And from there, I was more interested in moving into uh, more management work and uh, went back to the University of Michigan to get my MBA. Uh, yeah, I was really interested in going into consulting. I kind of wanted a diverse set of experiences uh, for my career. And from there, I met uh, one of the big four firms and really uh, enjoyed connecting with folks in their health practice. So I, I've been a part of that firm for five years now. Uh, I moved up through the ranks to manager and then most recently made a transition into a new internal role, which really just kind of fit where I was at in my career and is focused in a completely different area, uh, more on helping our teams in the field from a talent perspective. So that's kind of the quick and dirty overview. Very cool. So I didn't realize that. So yeah, let's start back all the way in undergrad. So why engineering? What was kind of attractive attractive about that to you? <laughs> so, uh, Wasn't it really, didn't it make school really hard? <laughs> oh, it was, it was horrible. You know, so Coming from uh, Michigan, you know, in the high school, I was a great performer in high school, getting a 4.0. I thought that I could just go to college and put in the same minimal effort and get great degrees. But what I what I didn't realize was, uh, you know, from Michigan, where I was, you know, a top performer at a small high school, to now competing against the smartest people coming from all kinds of different countries into this one top program. They're studying all day and all night. It was mind-blowing, and it was terrible. I think I got pretty bad grades the first two years in undergrad. Like, was, like under a 2.5, like under a 2.5, like or under a 3, for sure, but... Uh, 
definitely under a three and it was probably closer to two than yeah. three for the first two years. Wow. And, you know, it was intended to weed people out. You would get a 40% on a exam and that would be a B, right? right. I mean, how demotivating <laughs> is that? And I think I just convinced myself that that was what they were trying to do and that I could weather the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up learning kind of late in the process to take some courses like the, uh, the math and science at a local community college and just transfer those credits. Oh, okay, uh, to but, boost you know, your GPA a little bit? Yeah, exactly. You know, so improve your GPA because those are the ones where they're really trying to punish you. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those core courses. So that rem- once I got through that. That reminds me of uh, my undergrad at Williams. They had Bio 101, and I think like 30 or 40% of the class was like pre med when you start out. And Bio 101 is like notorious. I remember studying more for that class than all the other classes combined and getting a C plus or something like that. And it was just insane what they would do on the, on the exams. It's like you had the right answer, but you didn't like do one little thing and they'd like slash half the points off and just, just brutal, brutal grading, crazy curve. Like you said, probably, but still probably not as tough as engineering. So I, I, I can kind of relate to you. It was definitely a weed out course. Um, so interestingly, um, so you survived, though. You graduate. You actually graduated. Um, were you put on probation at all for your low GPA? You know, uh, thankfully, a lot of the time it's, it's who you know. So through, uh, through a friend who is in the automotive industry, I got an early internship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point I was so early, they didn't really care what my GPA was. Um, but then having that internship experience on my resume, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? You either yeah. need the grades or the experience. And thankfully, uh, a connection helped me get that experience, which was... then helped me get the next and the next internship despite the low GPA. And then, um, you know. And that was freshman That was freshman summer? You got that right out of the gate? Exactly. That was freshman summer. And that, and... Was, that was through a friend, you said, right? Yeah, that was through a connection. Childhood, uh, childhood friend on. or childhood friend or friend of a friend? Yeah, exactly. A friend of the family who was in a, a good position at that company, and you know they helped me get that get that role at uh, you know Delphi Automotive is what they were called at the time. So, cool. did you feel like you learned um, a lot there, or no? It's just like the basic internship oh, where you're getting coffee oh, and yeah. doing database work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they gave me big things to do, but you know I felt like I I didn't quite have all the skills at the time, but it really showed me you know, what being in the real world would look like um, mm-hmm. and kind of motivated me to really focus on um, the things that I would kind of want to study later. So that was helpful. So it didn't, uh, it, know it, how much so having that, learned. having that internship didn't turn you off to engineering. It kind of made you more motivated. It seemed like you were interested, correct? Still? Yeah. 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 Okay. I was, I was interested. They were doing some pretty cool stuff at the time. And, um, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity. So at that point, I still felt good about engineering. Yeah. So you graduated kind of in the peak of the bubble right? Um, oh, God. When things were still rosy, or maybe there were some cracks in the foundation kind of showing in 2007. Tell me uh, what the recruiting you know, re- recruiting was like. Was it pretty easy to get a job just because you had that internship experience and because of it, it was 2007? Yeah. So thankfully, with the internship experience, I had the option to return to Ford, where I'd interned. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I had a good experience there. I had the opportunity to return there. And like you said, right at the peak of the bubble. So recruiting wasn't an issue for me. I enjoyed my experience and didn't feel like I needed to compete too much out of undergrad. Mm-hmm. So I went there, but unfortunately, right after I started, about nine months later, 
the huge downturn happened. And as you probably know, auto was hit harder than almost any you know, yeah. durable goods, the things that you can wait to buy, right? Yep. Everyone just put those on hold. They were hit big time. And almost everyone who was early in that rotational engineering role uh, was let go, including myself. So what a, what a terrible thing to start your career and then immediately be back on the street having to find another job. <laughs> so so tell was, me, uh, that was tough. so let's talk about that. So, you know, you're only nine months in at Ford. Somebody pulls you into the office and says, look, things are really bad. Like, we just have to let you go. Sorry. And tell me about that process and kind of what was going through your mind and then how did you think to kind of start did build did you turn to start building your network? Did you immediately start like contacting everybody? How did you even recover and get a job? Yeah, it was it was kind of uh, you know, surreal, right? Because you just started and you're like, Hey, you guys just picked me to join. Like how bad are you at planning things? Right. If you're hiring all these people and then letting us go. So it was just kind of ridiculous. Um, for whatever reason I didn't feel too devastated. I don't know, maybe it was just the ignorant state of being a fresh graduate yeah you're 22 um, 23 you're like you can take over the world right <laughs> yeah I'm like, whatever i'll find something i'm not worried about it right. um i had actually also interviewed with uh, goldman in their operations department because i was an operations engineer but ultimately decided i didn't want to be there when their core focus was investment banking i didn't really want to be on the operations side right Got it. fair if i join an organization i want to be more a part of the core function of what they do that's smart. Um, so, you yeah. know, I, I reached out to some of the, the folks who I had talked to during undergrad, um, but then just through kind of good fortune, um, a recruiter was picking off a lot of the good people coming from the, the top level companies like Ford and General Motors mm-hmm. to one of a growing supplier that had an international base. So they weren't quite as immediately affected. Yeah. So I got hired into one of these suppliers, kind of like a tear down. Mm-hmm. And within the area, probably within a couple months. So, um, you know, that ended up working out. But I was starting to get a little turned off to automotive because when I joined this company, right after I joined, they went through two rounds of letting folks go, including another new hire that was hired in the same role as me at the same time. So I had to watch her get let go within a year of being at this Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what's Somehow going on? You're you're thinking what's going on? You're like this is this is this what the real world's about? Like you join a company and get fired? <laughs> you're yeah, just you're so you're millennials, you know, and, and yeah. the bad taste they have in their mouth and and the tough start. I'm like, geez, this is a prime example. You know, it was, yeah, it was rough. So tell me a little bit about um, you know, did you have any sort of uh, debt coming out of school, or were you in the fortune where your parents helped you, like like myself, um, pay for school? Yeah, I had undergrad debt, but we're mm-hmm. talking like twenty or thirty grand. Yep. Um, which in the grand scheme of things seems like not a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if we talk about MBA down the road, it's it's just like a drop in the bucket, right? So <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, I had I had a, a small amount of debt, you know, which I consider twenty to thirty grand, small amount. Maybe some people don't, but yeah, um, wasn't a wasn't a huge deal for me from that standpoint. So. You know, you you have this job. Tell me what why leave that that engineering job. Um, you were kind of getting turned off a little bit by the automotive industry because you saw another round of layoffs as soon as you joined there. What was your thought process of like next steps? How did you start looking at your options? So all I knew is that I wanted to get away from automotive and get into something else. And I also knew I wanted to get an MBA because I felt like you know, a lot of the problems that I wanted to tackle were beyond just 
that narrow focus that you get in engineering where you need to be specialized and perfectly design something. But let's look at a broad strategy, right? How can we look at uh, M&A opportunities? How can we look at broad business transformations? Mm -hmm. uh, definitely was interested in that. Um, and so I started looking for jobs. Uh, honestly, it wasn't as much about what the job was, um, but I wanted to get back close to Ann Arbor so I could um, – you know, work on getting into the MBA program. So I found a job right in Ann Arbor at a small software company as a project manager. And from there, I ended up applying to the evening MBA program. And, and I think this is interesting maybe for some listeners to say, mm -hmm. if you didn't have a great undergrad MBA, a lot of these really top tier targeted uh, programs like U of M and others have weekends or evening or executive programs. Mm -hmm. They give you access to a lot of the same companies, but are sometimes easier to get into because the number of applicants are lower because they might be geographically constrained. Right? Interesting. Tell me, tell me uh, about that though. Are you given the same access to like on-campus recruiting as the full-time students? Are. You are. You are. Because yeah, I've heard there was another, <clears throat> there was another guest I had on recently. They were at a school similar that a part-time program or the evening program or something like that. And they said they didn't, they weren't supposed to, but they still hustled enough where they were like, invited to go to the drinks you know like where the, there'd be like the on-campus visits and the on and, okay. and yeah. so like you, you should definitely check into that like whether the evening and and or executive mba has the same access as the full-time under um full-time written um i'll call them regular mba students yeah. um because clarify. yeah I'll that clarify. so yeah we didn't have access for internships because it was assumed that people were working full-time got it so you couldn't apply and you couldn't attend events through the, the university system. Okay. However, for full-time, it was legitimate, full, same access. Um, now, some people would be worried, you know, is there like something on my resume that's going to be flagged like this or on my name tag or something, but not really. And, and ultimately, like this other person mentioned, it comes down to the networking and the hustle. The companies didn't matter. If they liked you or, and you were at the school and you had the name badge on and you had the resume with University of Michigan at the top, that's all they really cared about. Got it. Okay. That's yeah. fair. So you're, you kind of were thinking MBA, you want to have a little bit more of a well-rounded background, not just a specialized engineering background. You wanted, you got back to Ann Arbor because you had kind of targeted that school. What, what about, what about Ann Arbor? What about Michigan really kind of attracted you there? You know, um, for one, they were close to where I was at. Uh, and while I had gone there for undergrad, it was a different area of study. So yep. I didn't feel like at an undergrad in business, I'd just be learning the same things. Uh, I really liked kind of where they were headed. They put out a new strategy with four pillars, uh, and one of them was focused on positive business. And I felt like that was really forward focused on where we are heading as a society, whether we're looking at, um, you know, focusing on being better stewards for the environment, building better organizations where people have a purpose in what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like a lot of organizations and the industry was really focused on this. And the, if this was a pillar for the university, that was something that I thought, you know, both interested me and would be a good, you know, edge when you were going and connecting with companies who were also really starting to focus on these strategies. Great. So tell me a little bit about that whole, so you start your MBA program, you're kind of dropping in, you're dropping your resume right away on these full-time positions because this software company you're working for wasn't kind of a long-term thing for you, right? Or you didn't see it that way? Or tell me about that. Yeah, they were a good company and I talked to them about opportunities, but they just, they were at the point where the, the size didn't really give internal advancement. 
but mm-hmm. I also was really interested in consulting um, because I wanted to have sort of that dog years of opportunity in a short amount of time, right? So I wanted to see a lot of different business challenges. I wanted, I also wanted the exposure that you get within consulting to uh, higher level clients than you would if you just went directly into industry, right? So instead of working for a manager or a assistant director or something, you're actually talking to a, a vice president, even as a senior consultant sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like that would be great for my career and also just a lot more fun at that point mm-hmm. you know, and take advantage of, of getting that MBA. It seemed like consulting was the best to give me those opportunities. So you had mentioned that the being in the evening program didn't give you access to the internships, but it looks like you did somehow land a summer associate role. Yep. So can you I, I talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And networked. <laughs> how did and cheated the system? Okay. Tell me how you did that <laughs> specifically or where <laughs> so, your break was. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> ultimately you go to the company's presentation, you have conversations over the phone with consultants and leaders, you get invited to the invite only drinks and you just connect with them and ultimately they are the ones who decide who they're gonna interview and they tell the school, um, you know, we're interviewing this person even though they haven't submitted an application through your school system. Mm. And, and that's kind of motivating. If you've networked so well that they're willing to interview you in spite of the school's sort of norms, then I feel like you're, it's your position to lose ultimately, right? But then how so did you, how did you even get onto the, networking. how did you like get onto the docket even? Like the interview scheduling, like can you even, they this eventually fit you in somehow or they, that the school was forced to? Yeah, yeah, the school was forced to. So uh, I couldn't apply through the school system, but the school could add me to the official interview list for the day Got through it. their system if the, if the uh, company wanted to interview me. So that's the way I did it. And <laughs> how I did you? But how did you? How did you even say that to the to the hiring manager? You're like, hey, you know, I can't apply because I'm in the evening program, but it'd be great if you could get me on the list, the interview list. I'd love to interview. Like, how did you do that? Like in these cocktail yeah, hours? Yeah, that, that, that's kind of the. That's an awkward, awkward it's an awkward right? ask. Yeah. So tell me how you, yeah. how did you broach that? Yeah, I know we've been dating for a while, but I have these children I haven't told you about. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what it felt like. It really did. Uh, but we actually had a, like an evening MBA consulting club. And so we, we learned from our peers kind of what the best way to broach that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best thing was to bring it up early in the conversation to say, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm an evening MBA. And traditionally we won't do internships, but there's a handful of us who are, are more looking at a career switch. And so we will be doing it. And so we just prime them and let them know, uh, hey, when it comes time uh, for us to apply, uh, we won't be able to do it through the school system, but we'll still apply via your website. Most companies still make you apply to their website as well as the school yep. okay. system. So I'll still apply to your website and I'll give you my resume, but you'll need to uh, let the school know to add me to the list. So you, you kind of kind of work it in early on so it's mm-hmm. not a surprise at the last minute because then they kind of feel like you're doing something tricky right but if you bring yeah. it up and you're open and honest about it yeah at the end of the day they still like you then they're already on your side got it that's the way to do it fair enough fair enough that's a little tough it's a little bit of a disadvantage it's a little bit of an extra little hoop to jump jump through to get on that on that interview list and then on top yeah. of that i'm sure you still have to you have to perform well on top of working full time and where whereas these other MBAs are probably just doing case interviews all day and all night prepping, right? 
At least I, I think oh, yeah. at Wharton, that's what it was like. I remember seeing these rooms of kids just like grilling on case interviews right before the McKinsey, Bain, and BCGs of the world and the Oliver Wyman's came onto campus. And it was just, I was just shaking my head and be like, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that. Anyway, so yeah. tell me about that. How was the interview prep for, for this? Did you have like through your other evening colleagues, evening MBA colleagues, were you guys kind of doing mock, mock interviews and case interview prep together? We were, we were. And, you know, you mentioned seeing the other people doing it nonstop and it kind of brings back some PTSD where, you know, you felt like their full-time job, the people in the full-time program, that was their full-time job was prepping for this. And we had to do it in those few measly hours left in the week, right? And how are we going to compete with them? So uh, really it was a big uphill battle from that standpoint, but we, we prepped with one another. We had access to peer coaches okay. who were folks who had interned at these companies and were at the at the school so we had the same access to those folks so you know you just sign up as quick as you can and practice with them so you get really good prep uh, and then we help one another but we also you could be going through this evening program for three or four years so you might get started a year earlier got it some of these other folks which really was necessary but people who didn't learn that lesson definitely failed got it okay so you we're prepping kind of early on, knew, knowing that consulting was was the target here. You did end up landing a, a summer associate role. Tell me about that. How was, did you when you got in there and you you experienced it over the summer? Was it like this is definitely what I want to do, or was there some doubt? The reason I decided to take an internship because it was a, a different area that I wanted to explore. I was really intrigued by sort of the the people side of business and how that would differentiate organizations and sort of the growth in the industry for those services. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to apply to Deloitte's human capital, which is really the the people side. Um, And they were, um, you know, really a leader in that space and and still are very competitive. Mm -hmm. And I had a a really positive experience there, but I, I knew if I didn't try it, and I jump right into it full time, I might decide that it's not what I wanted to do, right? right. Internships, your only chance to try that if you haven't done it before. Right. Um, and so I actually had a pretty good experience with them over the summer. I, you know, I think they're, uh, they're a great firm. Uh, you know, I didn't end up there eventually, but, um, you know, I think it, it showed me that it was an interesting area, but not what I wanted to do exclusively for you know, the next three, four, 10 years, whatever. Did you get uh, a re- career? Did you get a return offer from that summer? Um, so I, that, that was kind of a tough situation because, um, you know, in talking to my counselor and folks at that company, um, I sort of made it clear that this wasn't something I wanted to go back into. And right. so I, I talked to them, I said, hey, can I come back into another group, right? Into the strategy yeah. practice or the SNO practice. And the answer that I was told was, not really. We've allocated all the slots. And also, you didn't really network with them during the recruiting mm. season. So they don't know who you are. And so that wasn't really well received. Yeah, and, which makes sense. Which I, makes so sense. I didn't, yeah. they didn't even end up even extending an offer to me because I, I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to be like, yeah, I, I'm definitely excited. I want to do this. And so, then try to trick them and transfer. Totally later. get it. It didn't seem like the best path. Yeah, I get know? it. But so, did um, you use that same explanation you just gave me? Now, is that kind of what you went to? Well, say went to market with when you tried to go back full, for full time recruiting, just telling yeah, them straight up, yeah. saying like it wasn't. I didn't want to be in the, you know, the people side or the organization design or whatever they call it, um, type of it practice. Was, exactly. That was my pitch. It, it was good experience. It was something that I can still use, mm-hmm. right? When yep. I'm talking to clients uh, and going to market, but. 
it's not what I want to do exclusively, right? I'm happy to do it as, you know, a third of my projects maybe, but I don't want to only be doing that for, you know, the next four or five years in my career in consulting or however much time I spend. So, so you're in the full-time, so you're in the full-time program. Did you quit your full-time job to take the summer associate role? Yeah, that was scary because I had a mortgage and yeah. I had a kid at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, because I'm thinking uh, about this. Know, it's got to be a trickier, it, it's got to be a trickier maneuver here where you're basically quitting your full-time job. You're taking on this, at least it's a paid summer associate role, right? But it's still it like, was. you don't know if you're going to get the full-time offer. Then you're, you do the bold thing of saying, well, no, I'm not really interested in this. Sorry. And they say, well, well you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> we're not there's no other seats for you it's either here or nothing and so tell me how you kind of came out of that what was it like in the final few weeks of of that summer associate role at Deloitte and had you as soon as you knew it wasn't for you had you been networking like that whole summer to try and kind of start getting into full-time processes you know uh one regret that I have is that um, I didn't do a ton of networking over the course of the summer uh, mm -hmm. and so that's one thing that I would say if you're ever unsure during your internship, definitely continue networking with other firms throughout the course of the summer. And um, so that's, and I'll tell you why more later because, yeah. <laughs> or we can jump into it now. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah, As I was leaving Deloitte, I, I felt like I started making those connections and it seemed kind of late in the game. Mm -hmm. And the responses were sort of hit or miss, right? Um, and I, I didn't know if people weren't buying the story or if they already sort of had people you know, they had hired all the interns they needed and they didn't need to recruit full time. So it was kind of hit or miss. And Yeah, I'm surprised um, you didn't, you weren't more fearful, kind of, in a, in essence, you kind of turned down Deloitte um, because they, they had you slotted for a specific area. You kind of showed your cards that you wasn't that interesting to you, which personally, as if I was a career coach at the time, I would have probably told you to say, hey, just put your head down, accept it, but continue to talk and build your network outside of this. And then use that same story of like, hey, I'm here, I like it, you know, maybe do a year there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's probably what I would, because the, the the route you took of saying, well, no, guys, I really don't want to do this, you know, all the time and blah, 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 was kind of bold and risky in the sense that, like you said, you you were getting kind of some not as much traction as you had maybe anticipated the store people have to buy the story they're they're kind of thinking is this a red flag he didn't get a return offer you know what i mean there's a lot of potential things that could be roadblocks so tell me how you how you overcame those and, and what was the gap were you unemployed for a while or how, how did you deal with that yeah so i was essentially now full-time school right yep um and that was that was kind of scary because i had to take out loans to cover my fixed costs mm -hmm. as well as the school now so unlike some of the full-time MBAs who were eligible for scholarship because they applied through full-time and yep. they could get additional financial aid. I had to kind of take on more private loans at higher interest just to cover those costs. Um, but I, I just believed it'd be for a fixed amount of time, right? Um, and so I immediately started connecting with some of the other firms, which were other big fours, and then the big three MBB uh, that I had uh, networked with during the internship season. Mm -hmm. And a couple of those, so two of them, one big four and then McKinsey, uh, were the ones that I ended up getting an interview for, right? And so, um, thankfully, I got two hits out of maybe four or five that I had, um, you know, tried to reconnect with. Yeah. And so it was it was a little scary for a while, and it was kind of silence on on some of those firms. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, a, a few of them, you know, remembered me, enjoyed the connection, and and uh, you know, felt like it was worth exploring. So 
So tell me about um, that recruiting you know, process. So you were kind of in the, you were in the same bucket as the people coming out of summer associate role, like they're trying to fill a few extra seats or how did that, how did that work? Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately a few of the firms set aside some roles for full-time recruiting. Okay. Um, now, one thing that I will mention, because I help recruit on campus now for MBAs for my firm, uh, we get uh, a lot, there's a lot more firms that are focusing exclusively on intern only. So, you know, for people who are listening, um, that's a trend that we're seeing. And you might have already heard this from others too, but I just figured I would mention that. There's less slots, you mean? There's, there. there's less <laughs> slots. Like it's basically almost exclusively hired out of the internship class. Almost all the seats are filled. Correct. It's becoming that way, especially for consulting, I've noticed. Right. Um, yeah. So some of the, the bigger firms are trending that way, and it's becoming increasingly difficult if you didn't get an internship or you're not accepting your return offer to, to make a move over. So tell me how you did it. Tell me about the, the actual interviews themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the McKinsey one went well. I, I made it through, you know, the first or second rounds and into the final round, you know, I was in the Detroit office interviewing with them and I really liked the experience and I later found out they only had one slot <laughs> and it was myself and one other finalist and at the end of the day I found out that this individual had done like an excellent job of networking over the entire summer you know made some connections visited with uh, some of the partners in the office and it was almost like her spot to lose you know assuming that she interviewed well and was competitive yeah they kind of knew more about her they were comfortable with her and I was like well if this guy just really blows it out of the water yeah and it's like clearly the best person we've ever seen well maybe we'll consider it, right? right and so uh you know that showed me that whoops I had really screwed up by not maintaining those connections over the summer just in case right uh, this wasn't what it panned out to be um but you know I just didn't get a lot of career coaching on that at the time I wonder um, all the listeners out there if they at this point you know almost 50 50 episodes in this actually might be the 50th episode whether they actually have seen the pattern of how ridiculously important networking is. <laughs> it's almost like it's a broken record. So everyone out there, please, this is no joke. This is your future. Yeah. Like You have to talk to people. You have to get comfortable talking to people. You can't just sit by idly and hoping that you interview well. You're just going to get into those first rounds just by the strength of your resume. It's just, it's, it's incredibly naive. Um, and the, the sooner you learn that lesson, that it's about who you know and the relationships you build, the faster you'll move up in, in your career. So anyways, continue, I just a little uh, <laughs> PSA, PSA, because this has been so, it's so ridiculous how almost every single guest says the exact same thing. Um, so I just wanted to yeah. make sure to call that out. Um, so you're, so, okay. So you kind of hold, is, am I looking at your background correctly to thinking you actually became a peer coach to kind of bridge the gap a little bit, an MBA peer coach? Yeah. Yeah, so I had benefited a lot from the peer coaches while I was preparing for consulting interviews, yep. and I learned a lot. And so that was a, a good little part-time job, you know, 10, 12 bucks an hour, um, just 10, 15 hours a week. Surprised they pay you that little. something I really enjoyed doing. <laughs> I can't right? believe they pay you um, that little, but okay, continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I, it was, it was like table scraps, but I was probably Man, lining up for the, more slots than anyone. The WSO, like, the WSO mentor program uh, seems like we, we pay we pay you guys, you know, bank compared to that. Come on. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. This was the university. Yeah, the fair university enough. He was paying us, so, and we were still students at the time, so I can sort of understand it. But it was also sort of expected that you give back yes. to, to the next class, right? Fair. And the, other, fair. the previous class had helped you, so now it's your turn to give back, so... 
um, you know, we were getting paid something, which was great. It's better than nothing. And we were giving back. And I really enjoyed uh, coaching students. But what I found was I was still interviewing at that time. Yeah. While I was a peer coach, I was learning a ton. It was helping you. From the first year students. I'm yeah. like, wow, that guy, I love how he created this table to organize his information as he checks boxes and led this framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would, you know, sort of absorb all of the best things that they had helped <laughs> you, other students. You were getting paid. You were getting paid and you were learning <laughs> as you went. That's I was awesome. Learning. Yeah. I mean, I was mostly helping, but I was also learning, right? Because I was seeing 20 or 30 different students, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of that period and, and kind of taking all of what was the best, yep. sharing that with others, sharing what I had learned. Um, but that ultimately ended up helping me during my interviews as well. Um, and, you know, there are a few things that really stood out to me from that experience. Sure. And what I would say is everyone thinks, you know, you have to learn the Victor Chang frameworks and, and memorize all these frameworks and be good at math. But the number one differentiator for folks who are preparing for consulting cases is that the secret for the cases is all about fit and how you interact with the individual during that session and how they feel coming out of it. That feeling that they're left with, like, wow, that was a really collaborative experience. I feel like I was simulating working on a mini um, engagement with them, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can do that successfully, everyone's doing the math. Everyone's framework is good. But if you can do that, those are the people who go from great to offer. How do you feel like – how do you how do you do that? How do you make it feel more collaborative? How do you – is there is there certain tips you could give in terms of how to – structure the case in such a way to make it more collaborative i think you know bcg is different from mckinsey in terms of how much it's led by the actual interviewee but any specific kind of guidance in terms of how to do that so i'll give two very tactical things that people can do sure uh, and you know happy to talk with them more about others but one would be uh, just how you position yourself and position the papers that you're writing on So don't try to sit across from them in sort of an oppositional way. Mm. If you can position yourself to sit sort of, um, you know, adjacent to them, right? So that it's almost like you're working with them. And then if you can't do that in a minimum, when you're describing your framework or things that you're solving, turn your paper and face it to them and use your pen to kind of point at different things so that you're really kind of working on it together with them and you're engaging them in that. So that would be one. Mm, The other thing I would recommend would be um, during the case, don't just kind of move to the next thing. Sort of have a, a mid-level synthesis. So if you see a number and it's kind of abnormally large, have some sort of interesting reaction to that. Be like, wow, that's that's really huge. It really seems like we're trending in a positive way for this client um, if, if what I'm looking at is, at, at is correct. Or kind of bring it back to reality. Be like, wow, we're only charging $20 a night and this is a hotel. Like, well, you know, it doesn't seem really realistic, but, you know, let's keep pushing forward into this case and see what we discover, right? Mm-hmm. So if you kind of have those engaging mid-level synthesis comments, it kind of keeps them flowing and makes it more conversational rather than just kind of focusing tactically on move, moving through your framework, moving to the next thing, and only focusing on, you know, the final solution. Right. It's not about getting to the answer. It's about the, the entire collaborative process of working together almost more and yeah. making that experience as enjoyable and as memorable and, and demonstrating that you have the right thought process kind of, I guess. That sounds like a movie trailer you know, <laughs> about the destination, but the journey and the friends they made along the way. Exactly. Right? So. Exactly. So, okay. So you picked up a lot of kind of the best tactics doing this MBA, MBA peer coach, getting paid peanuts for it, but Hey, it seemed like it helped you. You got into more processes. So obviously the McKinsey thing didn't work out. Um, you get it to a big four, you kind of have another set of interviews. Tell me about those and what, what 
you think made the difference? Was it just having that extra bit of experience? You know, so a lot of it came down to number one, the networking uh, Mm -hmm. and having built really good relationships with the folks on the ground. And so I think that helped with the first round, right? But then for the final round, they really bring folks from all the schools and try to make it more of a meritocracy. It's not like a certain number of folks from each school. It's really whoever's the best. And I appreciated that. Uh, So definitely the case prep helped me. Um, The case that I faced ended up being a little bit less uh, numbers-based and kind of more of a a project management Mm -hmm. simulation Mm -hmm. case, Mm -hmm. uh, which was interesting. And then the other piece was a a group case where you're with a group of folks trying to solve a problem. Tell me about that. What's the strategy there? Because that's super intimidating. That's very intimidating, but I think it's really essential. And now that I'm on the other side as an interviewer, I, I see it's one of the most valuable. If I had a company, I would make sure that I did this because everyone looks good one-on-one. Suddenly in a group format, everyone's trying to be a leader. Everyone's trying to show they're intelligent. And you know, how are they handling this, this conflict? So um, the, the tactics for that are definitely show that you're a leader, um, but then make sure that you're inclusive, right? If you see someone not speaking up, say, hey, you know, we'd love to get your opinion on this. Uh, leverage things you know about them to say, hey, I remember last night you told me that spent some time in IT. I'd love your view on uh, the technology side of this, this case that we're looking at. Does everyone start uh, speaking over each other in those group settings? Like, isn't that awkward? Yeah, like trying to be a leader? Be. <laughs> it certainly can be. Yeah. And so, um, you know, someone who's like that can bring the whole team down and then everyone looks bad. So, but uh, yeah, I would think, you know, I would you... think you'd want to like, at least from my perspective, if I was in that group, my personality would be such that I could be a leader if everyone was quiet, I could step up, but like I wouldn't want to force force it if someone was being a bull in that, in that case because it could make you look really bad, you know, and you just you start looking, like you said, like similar to that person who won't stop talking or whatnot. But um, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe, maybe people have enough self-introspection at that level where they understand they shouldn't be dominating the conversation all the time and be inclusive. Yeah, but. it's tough. Um, yeah. You have to find a way to get your voice in there, right? Yeah. To, uh, to say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in what and what you presented. Uh, however, have you considered these other components, which I don't feel like we've looked at to date? So you kind of acknowledge them. You say that you're interested in what they're doing, but then you kind of bring in some other pieces to kind of get your voice in there. Yeah. And if you're actually maybe more on the correct path, you don't need to fight with them. The observers will still see that you're willing to step in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, how do you compromise? Maybe you can say, well, let's include both of our solutions with maybe some pros and cons for our client that we're presenting to you to consider. Right. Or, you know, what other unique approaches can we take to this so that we're not fighting, uh, but we're all getting our voices heard, right? Fair. Okay. So tell me about your path a little bit at, uh, at the big, uh, one of the big four. Tell me about how you've kind of progress there from, you know, senior consultant all the way up through director now or assistant director. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I was focused on, on one of the sectors, uh, which was healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a sector I was really interested in just because of the growth and also the challenges they had. I mean, think about last time you went to a doctor, how many times you filled out the same form, (laughs) uh, the lack of consumer, um, you know, interest. So they're not, they don't really care who you are. You don't feel like you have any choice in terms Mm -hmm. of shopping around. Right. So so many opportunities, so many different parties. I'm like, I was just drawn in and and salivating at this huge challenge uh, that healthcare presented, but also the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. The ultimate product, the healthy person. So that's something that was motivating. Um, And so I got to do a variety of projects. I did um, some strategy work. I did some 
kind of operations and process improvement, some organization transformation, standing up uh, different org structures and, and roles and profiles, um, change management, you know, outsourcing of a complete set of administrative processes to another vendor, which was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of work that was going. So, you know, I, I thought that was just wonderful for me to get that broad variety of experiences. What was the most surprising um, when you joined, like when you first joined? Was it was there a steep learning curve at all? <clears throat> yeah, there was, um, you know, because I hadn't really focused on health coming in. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I, I needed to kind of ramp up. I knew a lot of the language because I'm married to a nurse, so that really helped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had the passion. I knew a lot of the language, um, but there's definitely uh, a learning curve coming up. But what I found was if you could connect well with clients and they enjoyed working with you and you knew enough of the sector language and challenges, that was what, you know, what they cared about was that you were a good team member, right? Mm -hmm. You were someone that they enjoyed working with. Uh, the same thing internally is if, if you were a good, engaging team member, that carried a lot more weight than just your Excel skills or, or how well you could, you know, put together slides or things. You know, they would tolerate, uh, you know, some of those things that you needed to grow in if you were someone who was just good to work with. And it seems like common sense, but, you know, that, that skill set of being collaborative, um, being positive and being willing to, to take on things and, and help other people out went a really long way. So tell me a little bit about your latest transition and kind of what's up for you next. Yeah, so um, I I have a handful of children and <laughs> how many? How many? <laughs> four. Four. Oh, you beat me. I'm at three. <clears throat> Although I have three yeah. in the last four years, so I'm I'm pretty much drowning over here. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can hear the bags under your eyes. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. Yeah. So four kids. And it was when that fourth kid came around, and at the same time, my spouse was interested in advancing her career to get a master's in nursing mm. and continuing to work part-time. And I felt like it was a great opportunity to kind of give back, and she invested a lot in me and my career. Yeah. And it was a great opportunity for me to um, take a different path for a period of time and invest in her. And I was very grateful that the firm I joined has been embracing different career pathways. Yep. So it's not just up and out, uh, and they're becoming more and more open about that on you know the all hands calls on how we coach our partners um, to encourage those things. So there were some internal positions, and I just spent maybe a year, a year and a half, searching for the right one, and found one that was really interesting to me, focused on helping our teams in the field, and our leaders, and even some of our individuals with. Uh, you know, operating at their best and what a high-performing team looks like. So we have mm -hmm. frameworks that we roll out that we help them with. Um, we do some coaching with them. We measure engagement levels and help our leaders kind of uh, mitigate some challenges and also celebrate where they're doing really well. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, will help the firm differentiate itself, right? Yeah. When, you're, when you're going, if you have a, a good team, people who work well together, right, that's going to come through to the client. Like, wow, these people really like working together. Yeah. Uh, we can tell that, right? Yeah. And, and we like to work with them because of that. And we want to buy more from them. Mm -hmm. uh, and if this team sticks around, it's not like they're rolling people off all the time. It's like people seem to like to stick around with each other, right? Yeah. So these are things that I experienced and I felt. And so, you know, finding that right internal role for me uh, was really meaningful. And the fact that, you know, this particular firm embrace that path so when you, say about when, it, when you say transition uh, family leader yeah. so when you said transition it's almost like 
you mean like not up and out it's almost like up and to the right or to to a role where you're not working the 60 hour weeks or the 70 hour weeks it's, it's you know a more reasonable kind of schedule so you can help at home is that the thought process that is that's a yeah. perfect explanation so mm-hmm. it was yeah i moved up to the manager rank and then i moved right into an internal rank that's similar or equivalent yeah um but it gives me more of that flexibility i still probably travel 10 or 20 percent of the time okay but overall i'm able to uh, work remotely or from the office Great. and spend a lot more time being present at home which was just uh, a real necessity for me at this point in my career how, but, old, are, how old are your kids do you mind if i ask <laughs> oh no problem so they're uh, nine seven five and two. Oh my gosh dude god bless you Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah nine to two you guys stretched it out well seven years no that's pretty fast that's pretty fast for uh, four so um wow you guys yeah it's you still have the two-year-old so well you're almost out of diapers you're almost out anyways um (laughs) well it's been really great what's kind of what's next for you i assume you know you just started this role so this is probably the plan for the foreseeable future a couple years here and then we'll see is that the is that the thought process yeah, so I, I like this role. It, it has the option for long-term progression mm-hmm. internally. Um, it's not as accelerated of a path, yep. um, but you know, I feel like there's a lot that I can learn. And in fact, when I was applying for this role, a partner in, in client service mentioned to me, he said, some of the things that you'll be doing internally, we've started doing for our clients as well. So mm-hmm. if you ever wanted to, to come back to client service, it's not like you'd have lost all your skill sets or anything, you know, we'd welcome you with open arms. And in fact, there's a demand for some of these services. Right. So that was encouraging. Um, but I'm not in a race to head back that direction. I want to really pursue this and, and enjoy this time and, and make a big impact in the role that I'm in. For sure. Uh, so kind of, kind of grateful for that. And that's, that's the near long-term goal. <laughs> this has been great. Before we call it, any, any advice you'd give to kind of the younger professionals, either pre-MBA or post-MBA or maybe getting their MBA now? Anything you, you'd kind of look back on and say, you, oh, I wish I'd done this differently or advice you'd give? Yeah, I would say uh, if you can, you know, take, take that full-time MBA experience. If, you're, if you came out of undergrad and you're, you're going into a company uh, and you're even thinking about doing the MBA, you know, I would say embrace that full-time MBA program. It's such a fun time in your life. That one year where I was able to focus full-time, I felt like I learned a lot. I made a ton of connections. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say would be join as many of the clubs and uh, groups that you can and yeah. do just a ton of networking. I know we talked about networking, but I would say, you know, those relationships go a really, really long way, and those connections last a long time. Uh, and, you know, I did more of that in my MBA than I did in undergrad, even though I was working during a lot of the time. Yeah. And it paid dividends uh, for me, and it continues to do so. So just keep networking. Never stop. Once you're in the firm, keep doing it. Keep meeting with people. Um, and then if you can, if you're even considering it, go ahead and, and make the plunge for that full-time MBA. It's, it's a, a lot of fun, and you won't regret it, even with the debt. <laughs> even with the debt we'll leave it there uh but anyways thanks so much for for joining us and uh yeah and if any of you guys want to connect it's consulting detroit is the username so thanks so much man and uh we'll be in touch and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever please don't hesitate to send them my way patrick at wallstreetoasis.com and until next time 